Peterson and I'm here with Mark Dornan and this Hi. is part, hello this is part two of the crystal myth podcast on space myths without further ado I'm just gonna get right into it cue music enjoy crystal myth crystal myth crystal to what I was going to talk about and it's just like general myths that people might have about space in general so one of them is that there's there's no gravity in space which I thought there isn't any gravity in space at all you see the if you're in well not in the vacuum of space you're not actually in space itself but if you're in you know like the international space station there's obviously yeah. no gravity there and they're just floating about. So I'm quoting this from the Washington Post. There's a few myths on here that they're covering. And they're saying that the, you may have seen videos of weightless astronauts on the International Space Station gracefully or sometimes not so gracefully flipping and floating around, hair aloft like swimmers in a starry sea. This often leads to people to conclude there's no gravity up there. Gravity is an important influence on root growth, but the scientists found that their space plants didn't need it to flourish. National Geographic wrote in 2012 of botanical research aboard the space station, a 2018 headline in the Independent similarly described a condition that affects astronauts during zero gravity missions. In fact, if there were no gravity in space, it wouldn't be possible for astronauts or anything to orbit the Earth. As Newton explained that gravity is a mutual attraction between any objects that have mass. Here on Earth, we experience gravity as our weight, which is to say the attraction between our own mass and the Earth. When a rocket is in space, the vehicle and the astronauts carried by it still feel the pull of the planet's gravity. No matter where they are, they have some gravitational relationship with objects from distant planets to faraway stars, however faint it may be. You too experience the tug of the entire universe, even if the tug that you notice is from Earth. Hmm... Back on the space station, astronauts are slowly falling toward or technically around the Earth. The astronauts look and feel weightless because they do not experience the Earth pushing back up on them as if they would look to tumble on terra firma. Even if you've ever been an elevator that descends, or an elevator, a lift that descends quickly, dropping from under your feet, you've had a tiny taste of what they experience. So what they're basically they're saying is, it's not completely free of gravity in space. There's still gravity about because whether it's Earth pulling you down like you're because we feel it more because we're actually on the earth so we feel the gravity more like pulling us down onto the ground so we're not floating away but if you're in space there's still that pull it's just tiny so this is melted my brain (laughs) (laughs) i know i'm getting into really scientific stuff here it's not that amusing so does that mean like like if (laughs) if i went to mars like does the gravity get less and less as a move from Earth to Mars, but then you kind of hit the midpoint and it starts getting more and more again. Yeah, it could be. Depends on, on what the type of how, how um the weight of the planet, how much of a pull of gravity there is. Like so, on the Moon, when you see the if you believe that the astronauts actually did land on the Moon, if you look at the footage, they are just bouncing about. It's not that they're see that's another myth as well that people think there's absolutely no atmosphere or well there's no gravity whatsoever on the Moon. But if there wasn't any gravity on the Moon, then there was no way that they would be able to even bounce about on the surface. They would just be floating away into space. Which then ties into the whole people who don't believe in the Moon landing and they say, well, why was the flag able to move? Yeah, because there is a bit of gravity there. Because I thought, well, nobody's saying that you've been frozen in perspex when you go into space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not just like that nothing will be, there's no wind or it. Well, there probably isn't any wind on the moon, but it's not like there's absolutely no movement whatsoever. Like nothing that can move, make that flag move. Of course it's going to move. Yeah, like even if you think. Well, the astronauts wouldn't be able to move at all then, would they? <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say, even if you think as though we've been to the moon, like of the many planets we've been on, even if you think of Earth, 
Yeah, like if it's a day where there's like no wind whatsoever, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that yeah. there's no movement. Like everything doesn't become rigid in the absence of wind. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't even be able to thrust, like, thrust their engines off the moon to, you know, come back. Yeah. If that was the case. So, um, another one... We're now absentmindedly into the sky. (laughs) 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 So, like, you you would feel um, the pull of gravity more depending on the atmosphere or the weight of, like... So, you'll feel lighter on the moon, but there's some planets where you'll feel a lot heavier. So, actually, like, the gravity is so strong that... Say, like, for example, I know you don't go on roller coasters, but... The reason why, like, I think that's, like, more like G-Force or something like that. If you feel, you know, like, they have this thing where they train astronauts and they sort of, like, spins round and round, really, and it goes faster and faster, like, sort of to test how they cope under extreme G-Forces. They're, the faster it goes, the faster it swings round, the heavier that person feels. Do you get it? Okay, sorry, that's just taking a minute for my brain to process as well. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Do you sense. feel heavier because you're being thrown back further and further like the fat oh I, I, I can't explain it like a scientist you kind of feel that on a roller coaster sometimes if like there's a roller coaster in Alton Towers called Greta Queen of Speeds or if you're in America have you ever been to Disneyland if you go on like the rock and roll roller coaster the ones that shoot you out like really fast it doesn't go up a hill slowly and then goes down with gravity um it just shoots you out like a rocket you will feel yourself being pulled pushed physically back into the seat and you will feel heavier it's like centrifugal force. It throws you at the sides. You know, like a hamster on a wheel. If it runs fast enough on the wheel, it will eventually get thrown to the <laughs> the back of the wall. And that's how it ends up going upside down, getting spun, spun about. It doesn't fall off. So it's not that the hamster appears to become lighter, so is able to be carried yeah. right by the wheel. It's that the hamster becomes so heavy, it's, it's like physically yeah. pushed into the wheel. Yeah, physically pushing it into the wheel so it feels heavier. You've used hamsters. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand physics, but I understand hamsters. So um, there's another method about black... Wait, see, when I say the word black hole, what do you think a black hole does if you were to encounter one? Mark, Earth to Mark. (laughs) So I'm I'm trying to work out how I want to answer this. So uh, we don't know, but if you put something in it, it appears to cease to exist. So it's like... (laughs) The way I would envisage it would be like if I had a black hole in my living room, it would be kind of like a cupboard, but I couldn't get stuff back out of it. Is that right? Well, most people think that if a black hole was to appear in your room, it would suck everything into it and you couldn't escape. But you're not one of those people, obviously, so you're quite intelligent. (laughs) Thank you. So basically what it says here is that news outlets tend to describe these gravity wells as if they were oversized cosmic vacuums. Black hole sucks down star stuff at 30% speed of light, proclaimed a recent Discover magazine headline. The website Futurism offered a survival guide for those who somehow get sucked into a black hole. And then there's Beavis and Butthead who warned us that a black hole sucks up the whole universe and then it's like it grinds it up and sends it all to hell or something. The truth is black holes are a bunch of mass crunched together into a tiny volume creating a huge gravity gravitational field we're going back to gravity again where the gravitational field is strongest not even light the fastest thing in the universe can escape it as a result black holes have long been hard for astronomers to study since most of our understanding of the universe relies on measuring light what we do know is that the huge masses of black holes anywhere from tens to millions of times the mass of our sun bend space-time in extreme ways which is why illustrations often make them look like deep cosmic funnels. If you get close enough to one, you will certainly experience its powerful gravitational force, which is why astronomers see stars orbiting supermassive black hole at the centre of our Milky Way. But the gravitational tug is just like that of any other object, depending on mass and distance. And it's not special just because it's caused by a black hole. If I could magically replace our sun with a black hole that is exactly the same mass as our sun, our Earth would keep orbiting exactly as where it is now. And similarly, those stars at the centre of our galaxy will spend their entire lifetimes happily orbiting with no danger of getting sucked in. In that sense, black holes are more like sinkholes than vacuums. One sinkhole, for example, in Florida isn't going to destroy the whole Earth. But best not to get too close. That's really fascinating. So I still don't understand, though. I, I feel like my, my cupboard thing is the way that it makes sense to me. But like, so if I climbed into a black hole, 
by yeah, you, you're fucked. You can't get out of it. But do we know what happens? No. Like, you say I'm fucked and I can't get out of it. Like, dad, am I crushed? Am yeah. I- yeah. Yeah, it crushes things into tiny, tiny, tiny. Like, it could take, so it can take things like the sun and change and crush that into a tiny, tiny, tiny little molecule. It's hard to decide. That's the theory anyway. Nobody actually knows because nobody's had the balls to actually, you know, jump into a black oh. hole. Some people theorise that black holes are wormholes and can take you to a different dimension. to speak. Wow. But they do know they exist. But it, it, black holes inside a black hole is where matter gets eaten up and destroyed like it's, it's very difficult to destroy light but somehow black holes can do that i can't get my head around it i often try and like i usually ask my boyfriend these things because he's a lot better at understanding space stuff but even when he explains it to me my mind just still can't comprehend what on earth he's talking about <laughs> i don't know why he understands it more than i do maybe i've just got a denser brain it's just so it's like time travel that blows my mind i don't know understand how that could work well, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but with black, I'm thinking like, I don't know how you and I would do this, but that would mean like if we could harness just like a black hole, then that would make the world so much of a better place because you wouldn't need like landfills and things like that because we could just get rid of all the wasteful shit that we produce by putting it in the black hole and then it would be condensed down to like the size of a pinhead. Or even smaller than that, but... By doing that, are we causing some sort of other reaction? Are we going to... Would there be consequences for that? We just don't know. Have you seen the film Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey? I have. He goes into a black hole. And remember what happens to him? Sort of. I he ends up like back... He ends up either back. Either asleep or drunk or both when I watched it. My, <laughs> my memory is like he goes into a black hole. And then... Yeah. <laughs> I might be putting two films together here. He becomes like really big. And his family are like in a dollhouse? No. No, uh, okay. So in that case, no, I have no idea what happens when Matthew McConaughey goes into a wormhole. Oh, sorry, a wormhole. A black hole. Black hole. For some strange reason, he ends up back in time behind his daughter's bookshelf when she's a wee girl and he's like around. And he's sort of, I don't know, I think it's like he's tiny, he's like become maybe like Ant Man. <laughs> He's the opposite. He's like really small, and he's in. He's somehow in between the molecules, and he's back behind his daughter's bookshelf. And what he does is he presses. He I don't know what he does. He manipulates something so that he it looks like a sort of Morse code thing or some sort of signal that at the time his daughter notices but doesn't understand what it is. Just to her, it looks like some sort of weird thing that she can't explain. But then he's doing that as a signal to save him from the black hole so that when she grows up, she figures out what it is and then manages to extract him from wherever he is and find him. But I need to watch the movie again. It just it doesn't make any sense to me, really. I can't make sense of it. It's Christopher Nolan. I think it, it divides a lot of people, that movie. Like, maybe, like, with scientists and things, as opposed I, to just fans. I mean, it, but I feel like as will follow... Because anything you've tried to explain to me, I keep being like dumbstruck. Yeah, I'm not. Physics just doesn't compute with my brain. So yeah, I watched it. I was very like, "Ah, I don't understand what's happening at all at any point in the film. (laughs) (laughs) During the first like 10 minutes, introductory stuff. I'm like, yeah, well, uh, also, also because he's um, he's um, traveling and interstellar space travel, the longer he's away, the older his daughter's getting on Earth, but he doesn't age any quicker. Like, so appears, it appears to people on Earth that he hasn't aged a day. He is still aging normally. It's just because the theory of relativity with Einstein is that the, the, if you travel faster than the speed of light, then time is relative, as in time's passing much faster on Earth than when you are traveling through space. Does that- so it appears that you're aging slower, but you're not. You're just aging normally. But the people back far away on on the Earth are aging at a rapidly, like much rapidly, in relativity to the speed that you're going. I don't know. I'm trying to explain it, but it's not making sense. So in the film Interstellar, by the time he gets back to Earth, he still looks like he's a 40 year old man, and his daughter's like, and so I don't even think his daughter's still alive. It may have been her granddaughter by that time that's met him who's like in her 70s or something. Yeah, that makes no sense. 
<laughs> there is there is a, a, a scientific like explanation behind it. Maybe I can explain it better if I read it online. But um, there's so no, the yeah, other. Anything wrong with the way you're explaining it? Again, my brain just doesn't compute physics, so I'm like, no, no, none of that made any sense to me whatsoever. So one of the other myths on this article is that the sun is yellow. Would you agree that the sun's yellow? <laughs> I feel like if you'd asked me the question, what colour is the sun? I would have said yellow. But then as soon as you said the myth that the sun is yellow, I thought, so yeah, what colour? know what colour the sun is. So obviously when you're drawing a picture of the sun, you would use a yellow crayon, wouldn't you? And yeah. then you, you would usually put sunglasses on the sun, which I never got, because why would the sun put sunglasses on? <laughs> can't see itself <laughs> 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 anything that would put a lot of shade on there um so no the the common perception leads to articles that that say such as the yellow sun in our sky provides the light and energy needed to sustain our planet but the sun is actually white because okay so to explain it to understand the true color of the sun you have to know a little bit about light itself so visible light the kind that humans can see it's just a tiny fraction of the energies of light in the universe. Mixed together, all this light appears white. But the colours of the rainbow, from red to violet, are different energies of light that your eyes can see. Red is at the lower energy end of the visible spectrum. Violet is towards the high energy end. By the time light from the sun hits your eyes, hopefully not directly, <laughs> it has travelled across the solar system and through the Earth's atmosphere, which bends, filters, and scatters solar radiation before it makes it to our eyes. Because the higher energy, bluer light gets scattered more, the light from the sun that reaches our eyes on Earth appears more yellow, but in space the sun would appear white to us. So the only reason why we're seeing colours is because the light from the sun is getting like refracted through the atmosphere. But then I think I followed that one better. There is no colour in space. Basically. Okay, that answers the question that I was going to ask. <laughs> in space, you cannot see colours. So everything's just black and white in space. Yeah, yeah. But it's the way we perceive the light from the black and white things that make us think it's different colours, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get that. So Superman, when he says that he gets his power from the yellow sun, that's bullshit. He gets it from a white sun. Dirty liar. <laughs> um also about the sun as well is that the what do you think in general this makes up the sun what's on the sun why is it bright it's what do you, do you think people nothing, make, the sun's not what, anything is the sun not just the sun's like a big is the sun just a big ball of gas like a star is just gas isn't it yeah most people like the conception is that the sun is on fire but it's a fire. I don't think it was on fire. I thought it was burning gas, but it's like not solid. Like it's just a big ball of gas that's. Yeah, like, it's just, it's actually gas. just, it's not even gas. It's just like a nuclear furnace. So it's basically, well, I suppose it is kind of a gas, but it's not fire. It's nuclear fusion. So when you think of the sun and colorize it and it's yellows and oranges, it looks like a whole lot of fire. And that's why they say, oh, the fiery sun, I'm going to like launch um, you into the sun in a fiery inferno and shit like that. Um, but astronomers <laughs> also speak of the sun burning. I like when you said that like that, something people say on average once or twice a day. <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> so astronomers also speak of the sun burning hydrogen and popular science writes that we're lucky it didn't burn out before we showed up a hundred thousand years ago in the case of our sun however burning is a total misnomer there is no combustion fed by oxygen to release the energy stored in the fuel stars generate energy through fusion smashing together atoms deep in their cores like gigantic particle colliders these fusion reactions reactions take lighter elements such as hydrogen and smash them together to build heavier elements like helium when hydrogen atoms fuse together, they release energy, which eventually makes it out of the heart of the star to shine into the universe. So there's no fire on the sun. It is just nuclear fusion. It's like radiation, a mass ball of radiation, basically. And that's why you get burnt. It's not fire. <laughs> Again, my issue with physics, I believe you that the sun is not a ball of fire. The rest of that made no sense to me whatsoever. I don't really understand what nuclear fusion is. So. 
<laughs> okay. That's, that, yeah. And then also... Island would be ashamed. Another thing is when you think of asteroid belt, what kind of images does that bring up? Do you think that would be an easy thing to fly through? No, because they're all so close together that the rocket would have to manoeuvre around lots of tiny rocks and might crash. No, that's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) No. So most people think that asteroid belts are like these sort of huge, like loads of rocks all bundled together that would smash into you at any point, you know, like in Star Wars or whatever, where you're like, he's like, oh, the chances of surviving this are like 100 billion to one. Oh, in his camp kind of voice, you know. Um, (laughs) But to get past Mars, Omer to Jupiter and beyond, one must pass through the asteroid belt, a region of space that harbours an especially large number of rocks. It sounds dangerous, at least to some science fans, but it's not because, in reality, we've successfully sent numerous NASA missions to study the outer solar system, no bobbing and weaving required. At the extreme speeds they travel, tens of thousands of miles per hour, spacecraft does not need to hit a boulder to be annihilated. Just over two years ago, a window in the International Space Station was seriously damaged by a mere paint chip. Navigating the asteroid belt in our solar system, however, is a piece of cake. While it does have a lot of rocks flying around it, in it compared with other regions of space, these rocks are still incredibly far apart, hundreds of thousands of miles on average. So if you're ever on a road trip with C-3PO and he claims that the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1, you can tell him to fuck off, chill out. (laughs) (laughs) So what they're saying is that if you think that an asteroid belt is just like loads of rocks all uh, clustered together in like a small space they're not they're actually thousands thousands of miles apart because of if you think of space it's that massive and large that of course you're not going to encounter loads of little space rocks and in actual fact tiny 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 little bits of matter that hit a space probe or something is actually more dangerous than a massive space boulder which you're highly unlikely to encounter what do you think of that In theory, makes travelling through space seem less scary, although I still 100% would never travel through space. So. I still want to go. It sounds amazing. Have you heard of the... Well, there's the obvious ones that people think that the Earth is flat, like the Flat Earth Society people. What do you think of them? <laughs> um, that they're insane. Do you know what their arguments are? I assume some of them are like effective you know those people that are like joking for attention that we've talked about before Mm -hmm. i guess that would make up quite a lot of them because the little i don't know what most of their arguments are but even the little bits and bobs that i've heard they're also easily disprovable that it just doesn't make any sense yeah and i think they know this but they just don't want to admit it yeah that's that's my thought of like are you just pretending to be stupid so that somebody Mm. pays attention because there's like levels of stupidity isn't there (laughs) I mean, there's a girl in my work that claims that she's a flat earther and actually happened to find that she's quite intelligent, but she's one of these people that deliberately pretends that they're dumb and don't understand simple questions for exactly what you're saying, just for attention, I guess, to get people's reaction. So I don't don't feel that. Um, I just go, all right, okay, and just move on. (laughs) I don't even try and go, oh, well, are you stupid or something? Because that's what she wants, like a bloody energy vampire. They claim that the they argue that the horizon is always at eye level, which they say would not be possible if the Earth were round. They also say that there's no movie of there's no full movie of the Earth rotating from space. But think about it, like before there were even movies, obviously like people worked out that the Earth wasn't flat. Yeah. Jesus Christ. NASA's published multiple videos from taken from satellites, including a live video of Earth from the ISS, which orbits our planet 16 times a day. If you were to take one of these flat Earthers, put them in a rocket, launch them into space, and prove to them, look, the Earth's clearly a globe, they'd probably still try and tell you that it's flat. I mean, yeah, even the first point of, like, the horizon's always at eye level, therefore the Earth isn't flat. Well, no. <laughs> Just no. Oh, I don't know. They are, like Some people say the Earth looks flat because you aren't far enough away at your size. Your size isn't large enough relative to the Earth to notice any curvature at all. I mean, I think if you look out and you see, you look at the horizon, you think, oh, well, that's not curved. But 
Uh-huh. Sorry, I'm currently staring out of my window, which okay. looks out over like the sea. <laughs> and it is curved. Yeah, admittedly, if I look out my other window, which looks onto a very large hillside, it doesn't appear to be curved because the hill is very close. <laughs> but if I look at the bit where I've got a big, flat, vast space, it's curved. But if you think about it, like, we're here on this hemisphere and then there's the people at the other side of the globe, Australia, but who, you know, when they always joke, oh, they're all upside down. <laughs> but it's gravity that's holding us all. It's gravity that's keeping us grounded. So, yeah, people on the other side of the world technically probably will be upside down, but it's a gravitational pull that makes us everything appear to be upright. Yeah, and why can't people I mean, just get their head around that? It's like if you get on a plane, if the I, earth was, if the earth I, I, was flat... I can't get my head around physics, but it just quite clearly the earth is round. If the earth was flat and you got on a plane, then the, if you were to fly to the other side of the world, you would leave the earth's atmosphere. <laughs> I don't know, in a globe sense, you know what I mean? If it's still yeah. a globe, but you're saying that the, the horizon's flat, then what's to stop you from just you're flying around the earth you're not flying through <laughs> i don't know <laughs> and then have you heard of the hollow earth theory that there's the earth is hollow there's no core and there's people that live in the there's a whole civilization that lives inside the earth i mean i didn't think people actually but i <laughs> like i've read center of the earth <laughs> i didn't know there were people that had accepted that as some sort of scientific theory yeah People believe any old bullshit, won't they? <laughs> and then there's, um, have you heard of Planet Nine or Nibiru? No. Well, I thought you would have. So there's, NASA have discovered, or scientists have discovered that there could be a ninth planet in our solar system that's just, that we weren't able to see before because it was hidden in such a way that we, we couldn't see it previously. And people theorise that this planet, which they refer to as Nibiru or Planet Nine, could destroy the Earth. Um, <laughs> a theoretical planet at the edge of the solar system, they claimed that the new planet would be throwing all sorts of asteroids and comets at Earth, which would supposedly end up pummeling our planet. It says, although the planet's existence has not been confirmed, astronomers are actively looking for it to explain motions of some objects in the icy Cooper Belt, a vast region of icy objects beyond Neptune, if the planet is actually found, the California Institute of Technology's Mike Brown, who is one of the original backers of the Planet Nine theory, says the planet will pose no threat to us. Yeah, that was what I was about to ask you. Like, why, if it turned out that there was a planet that was somehow not spotted before, would yeah. result in Earth being destroyed when the planets that we already know about haven't resulted in the Earth being destroyed? Like, where's the logic behind that? It just um, adds more drama to people's lives, I suppose. I mean, the world's quite dramatic enough just now. We don't need to make up that there's a planet hiding and throwing things at us. Yeah, so the planet Nibiru, which people are talking about as well, first mentioned in a 1970 book, The Twelfth Planet. In the book um, written by, what weird, I don't know, it says Zecharia Stitchin. Like she's trying to stitch us all up. I don't know actually what sex they are. Stitchin translated ancient Sumerian um, cuneiform, which is like Sumerian like, text or language, and claimed that the text is proof of a planet beyond Neptune called Nibiru that orbits the sun every 3,600 years. Years later, self-proclaimed psychic Nancy Lyder claimed to have communicated with extraterrestrials who said Nibiru would collide with Earth in 2003. Well, it did, so that's... Did it? <laughs> I remember that happening. It fell right over. Um, when that didn't happen, the date was moved to 2012 and linked, of course, with the 2012 doomsday predictions. Of course, the collision never happened. The world didn't end in 2012, and no astronomer has ever found a planet on a collision course with Earth. It's a bit like those people who claim the rapture was going to happen. Like one day, I think it was like on my birthday on the 21st of May, this guy said that um, the rapture was going to happen, and you should sell all your earthly goods, sell your house, everything, and prepare preparation for it because why would you need any material possessions when god's just going to zap you up into heaven and then people actually did that and then it didn't happen and they've got fuck all (laughs) 
mean, and then his excuse was, "Oh, I got the calculations wrong. It's actually going to happen on a future date, which also won't happen." It's like when people said that Jesus was going to return in the year two thousand and waited for him um, <laughs> in Jerusalem somewhere for him to just show up, and surprisingly, he didn't. <laughs> The idea of what people are putting forward is evidence, which again goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like with your whole Nibiru thing. Like neither of those things are evidence. <laughs> Just, it'd be, yeah, if I said to you, did you know that? <laughs> did you know <laughs> that old troll? As of next week, all trees will be able to rise out the ground and walk about. And you said, <laughs> well, actually, Leslie, I've got plenty of evidence. And an old Lewis Carroll poem that did mention trees walking once. And also, I spoke to an internet psychic and she said something interesting is going to happen next week. So, bam, there's your evidence. Like, what? There was a film which I quite like called Melancholia. I think it's Lars von Trier and Kirsten Dunst is in it. Uh, Lars von Trier's a director, I think. Or could be wrong about that. Have you seen it? And it's Alexander Skarsgård, and it's basically um, like a metaphor of depression, which why I found it quite good. But if you take it literally and and don't see into the sort of like you know um, underlying subtext, it's actually about a planet like Nibiru that was discovered that's heading towards the Earth to destroy us all. And at one point, the women's the Kirsten Dunst character's brother-in-law is he's like an astronomer and he notices this planet it's getting closer and closer and then he thinks that it's actually not going to hit us and it's moving away so then he starts thinking how oh, brilliant um we're, we're saved but then he notices that it's actually not it's still coming for us and he kills himself it's quite bleak <laughs> I mean, no, I've not seen that, but... And then, well, I'm spoiling the movie, but it does end with this planet physically coming to destroy the Earth, and that's how it ends. But it's actually just a metaphor for someone's depression and what it feels like to be depressed. It's not literally about a a big planet coming to destroy us all. But some people think that that's what Nibiru is, that it's a planet that's going to head towards us for some reason and crash through our planet and our solar system. (laughs) Again, on the basis of the evidence of it was in a really old book and a mad woman on the internet said it. But then when when it comes out with, like, when there's articles or that NASA proclaim that they actually have discovered a massive planet hidden somewhere in our solar system, people will take that as, well, that proves that our theory's true, that must be Nibiru. But it's actually just, you know, it's always been there. It's not kind of suddenly, just because I've discovered it, suddenly to start to travel towards the Earth and kill us all. I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> unless it really doesn't like being looked at. It's like rude. Yeah. Oh, How dare you find out where I was? <laughs> I'm going to destroy you all now. I'd like yeah. to think that Nibiru is real, but it's not going to destroy us. And it is where the space jellyfish come from. And they all use black holes as cupboards. Perfect planet. There's so many different um, mad theories about space. Well, there's this one, the moon will turn green. Where are they getting that from? In spring 2016, there was a rumour that the moon would turn green, green because several planets had aligned and caused an eerie glow. This was supposed to happen on the 20th of April and again on the 29th of May for the first time since 1956, the rumour alleged. The moon never actually turned green, although it can appear red during a lunar eclipse. When the moon passes through the Earth's shadow, in the same way sunsets often appear red, sunlight is scattered as it passes through Earth's atmosphere, casting a reddish shadow on the moon's surface. Yeah, like the blood moon. Skywatching columnist John Rowell debunked this green moon myth. He pointed out that a full moon actually took place on the 22nd of April 2016 and speculated that the 20th April date of the green moon might have to do with National Weed Day. <laughs> Yeah. Properly known as 420, which makes sense considering oh, yeah, that's the last game supposedly happens. Yeah, it shows the, the issue of people like taking random stuff to be evidence because I'm guessing what's happened there is some random stoner is put on the internet in the middle turn green on 2020. <laughs> 420. And they said, and then they claimed that it, it happened 420 years ago as well. Because that backs up their theory. <laughs> So it's just one big campaign for weed. <laughs> and so what if the, the green um the moon goes green? Would you be bothered by that? 
I'm like, no, sure, Rangers fan. Be whatever colour the moon wants to be. Like my dad would be raging about it because he's a Rangers fan. You know, for people out there that don't understand what we're talking about, um, Rangers are black and blue, and Celtic are in green, and um, they're rivals. Take it far too seriously. Yeah. So my dad would literally be barking at them, and if it went green, he would think that it was Celtic. <laughs> Celtic's fault. <laughs> Celtic football club. <laughs> You would rather it was blue. Mm. I feel like there's a lot of nicer shades of green. <laughs> so if I had to pick a colour for the moon to be between green and blue, I'd definitely pick green. And do you think eventually they, um, some people theorised that we could develop technology to project adverts on the moon? Mm. I think in theory we could, but I don't think that we would. I think we would. <laughs> I mean, I think there are people who would, but I don't think that... I don't think it's possible. I mean, I'm sure eventually you could develop like some sort of satellite that you could get to orbit the moon that would be sophisticated enough. Yeah, to maybe you could, yeah. Adverts. But I just don't think that. Big Nike strap, um, <laughs> Nike <laughs> stripe on the moon. <laughs> the big Nike tick, I should say, on the moon, or whatever adverts could they put on, like Facebook, Crystal Myth. I wouldn't do that though. <laughs> Our faces on the moon. I mean. That would be lovely, but <laughs> but no, I think, yeah, it, it would be an offensive form of sky pollution. I wouldn't approve. <laughs> you sound genuinely disappointed, like, I really thought you were going to project her faces on the moon. But... I'd love to project. Well, there, I mean, can you see the face on the moon? I am, like, I know there's not actually a man face on the moon, but when I look up at the sky and I look at the moon, I'm, I used to be convinced that I could see its mouth moving and it was talking to, <laughs> to put me away. <laughs> I think the moon has a really cheeky face and he's got a sort of big cheeky, big cheeks and a wee mouth that moves. If you stare at it long enough, I was convinced that it was talking. Oh, I know it wasn't real, but it looked that way. I always thought that the face shape in the moon looked absolutely terrifying, like it was some sort of monstrous, disfigured beast. I didn't think you, it was talking to it, but I certainly you, didn't think it was cute. You can see the, the face on the moon. You can see that illusion. Because some people say that they can't see a face um, when they look at the moon, but I definitely can see it. I can see the yeah, like what you would make out to be a face, but again, I don't see a cute face. I can see a, a heavy, disfigured <laughs> face. Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you just don't want to, like, because I really want to visit the moon and, and say hi. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I'd, I'd, I think if I had the opportunity to get on a spaceship and, and go and visit the moon, I would definitely do it. But I don't see the, I don't see you doing that. I don't think you would like it. No, <laughs> that's definitely not going to happen. Oh, I was hoping you would come with me. And then we could do a podcast from the moon. I mean, it's a lovely idea, but I think we'd have to do it as a Skype recording again with you on the moon and me here. Yeah. No. <laughs> I've got an issue with going to the moon. It's the getting to the moon that's the issue. So speaking of the moon, I'm just going to link into what I want to end this podcast with, is how people imagine space travel to be before we actually went to space. So... Have you ever seen the George Melly's Trip to the Moon silent movie? You might have seen it. If you're fans of, if anyone's a fan of the um, the Smashing Pumpkins and they like the the song Tonight, have you ever seen their music video? Where, yeah, that's based on the silent movie The Trip to the Moon by George Melly's. When you see, you know how you see the moon's like, it's a man, the moon's depicted as a man with a face and the rocket ship hits it in the eye, and he's not happy. <laughs> and then they're, like, fighting these sort of lizard creatures. So that was based on a Jules Verne book called Trip to the Moon, where they catapulted a, a rocket into space on the way to get to the moon. <laughs> Which I think is interesting, because this guy was writing about this in the 19th century, and then eventually we actually did make it to the moon, but there weren't any lizard creatures that lived there. It's just all left here that we know of. So I think that was interesting. That's one of the earliest movies that depicted space travel, a sort of early sci-fi movie. 
check it out. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube. George Mellies was a really fascinating guy. Like, he was a French filmmaker, made all these sort of, like, tried out these different uh, magic sort of camera tricks for his silent movies. He was a bit of a magician himself. And then later on, he just became forgotten and he ended up running a toy shop in one of the, I think, the Garden Or in Paris. And he was totally forgotten about. Oh. There's a movie called Hugo about it. Oh. It's quite good. Have you seen it? No, I've not seen it, but I also didn't know that's what it was about. So on that, like, inspired by George Mellies, I thought I would just look at um, what people from, say, the 1900s thought that life was going to be like in the year 2000s. So what kind of things do you think they would have predicted? Ooh. Um that we would have robot butlers and maids. <laughs> so they thought that there would be personal flying machines, which they're kind of right, because it was yeah. before... Well, when did we invent flight? It wasn't that long after 1900, but they thought they would all be personal ones. So like, there's a funny picture of a guy you know, with a little moustache from 1900 with his little jobbers on in that, um, with like wings, like wooden wings, <laughs> <laughs> attached to his back. I mean, I suppose if you're enough, you can have a personal flying machine, so they're not wrong. Um, in 1900, German chocolate brand Hildebrand released 12 illustrations of funny and sometimes accurate future predictions in the year 2000. So one of them is like people, yeah, again, flying around in the air. One of them has, oh, like um, they've got like, you know, the old fashioned telephones that you put to your ear and then you put another, like, the speaker to your mouth. Yeah. We've got a picture of people, it said a theatre in the year 2000, and it's a people, like, putting their telephone earpiece to their ear while a projector projects a woman from the theatre on their wall. So they're projecting, like, sort of um, satellite yeah, broadcasting. satellite streaming, which, again, yeah, yep, yeah. they're correct. So that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to decipher these images. Oh, there's one where there's, I don't think this is right. There's one where there's like a steam train that's um, moving entire blocks of cities about. That's... <laughs> so like, as in the cities are mobile and they move around the world or just like... They're just moving like to a different place. Like you land where you are and drained all the resources so they're moving the city somewhere else. Yeah, no, it's just, it just says, um, the caption just says steam relocation of mobile houses. But to me in the picture, it looks like shops and things, like actual city, like whole blocks of buildings that it's moving. So instead, so they thought in the future, instead of moving house. Although, do you know what, right? (laughs) I suppose back then you wouldn't actually move house, like ever, like you wouldn't. You would move out of your parents' home when you got married and buy a house, and that would be where you lived until you died. So, technically, yeah. the way the picture is wrong, but the idea that people would move from city to city or shop owners would relocate their shop technically is something that happens now that wouldn't have happened back then. So, the way of it happening is incorrect, but actually, again, they're technically right. Yeah, people do move a lot around a lot more easily, and they've got like like car caravans or RVs and things like that that you can move around in technically and live in. Yeah. But I don't think that moving whole cities on a train that's not really come true, has it? But then China's built a, like a China managed to build a hospital in like a week. <laughs> but that's the kind of different, I suppose. There's one here um, of a policeman that is looking through a building using an x-ray machine so you can catch burglars. That hasn't been invented yet, has it? Not that I'm aware of, no. (laughs) I mean, an x-ray vision, no, but CCTV. TV, yeah. I suppose that's kind of... So again, not exactly right, but they're not entirely wrong. Underwater ships for tourists, that came true. Yep. Uh, let's see what else I've got. Um, riding on water, as in like <laughs> they've got a picture of people with like hot air balloons strapped to their shoulders so that they can walk on water that way, sort of float above the water. <laughs> and they've got little boats for shoes, like shoes, basically, with little boats with balloons that keep them a lot. Hmm? So basically, jet skiing. Sort of. 
There's a guy with a walking stick. Why has he got a walking stick? Well, what's the point of that? He's on war. <laughs> the walking I mean, yeah, I don't understand that. War. It's a wild prediction, but just because it's... No, but there's also a horse and carriage as well. Like, if you were like, oh, what would you predict the future would be like? And I was like, I predict there'd be mugs with three handles. Like, okay. So people in 1900 fought in the year 2000 that we'd be all walking on water with um, boats for shoes and balloons that were filled with air that keeps us above the water from sinking. And there's also like a horse and carriage. They've also got balloons attached to them. Say technically we probably do have the technology to do that. Just like, why would anyone want to? That one's a fail, I think. Oh, they've got a hybrid rail watership, which I suppose would be predicting a hovercraft. Yeah. A machine for creating good weather. So remember my theory about Paul McCartney? That was just So I have a theory that Paul McCartney's evil. We can talk about that in another podcast. And you mentioned to me, which I didn't know about, that Paul McCartney had had like deliberately seeded the clouds so that it would rain, so that it would be sunny later for his concert. So technically we slash Paul McCartney do have the technology to control the weather to some extent. So they're right on that one as well. Yeah, because the picture that I'm looking at here is some people on an elevated, they also thought they'd have elevated cities on roofs and things. They're sort of wandering around and they're pointing at the sky and there's a giant machine with a big wheel and a sort of a pointing funnel pointing at the sky and you can see that the in the background there the far far ground like a big storm with rain and then the machine's pointing the bit that the machine's pointing at is all nice and sunny so he's saying oh look here my boy i've got this machine that can turn rain into sunshine (laughs) that's what they thought would happen in the year 2000 excursions a label saying paul mccartney and they've got it right excursions to the north pole and like airships they've got here, like just about mass tour, like people going to see the seals and oh well, yeah, that kind of came true with like cruise ships. Yeah. Looking at polar bears, yeah. uh, a movable sidewalk. <laughs> so instead of walking, they all just sit on benches, and then there's two gentlemen that seem to be quite happy to see each other with their hats in the air, shaking hands, but on a oh right, so the the pavements on rails on wheels and it's just moving about i don't really understand what where they're coming from from that no again do we have the technology to do that probably but why would you want that where <laughs> <laughs> uh, see there's other ones about protections from the 1900s world's fair so so they said that firefighters would fly around with bat wings on in the year 2000 <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should try to like protect Batman, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I actually really do wish that firemen would fly about with bat wings on these days. They should make that come true. One of the predictions was we'll all travel across the Atlantic in sweet looking blimp boats. So it's like a big wooden sea ship with massive, like a cross between a wooden boat and an airship. Again, I think we could, in theory, probably do that. It would just be pointless. But <laughs> the reason they probably thought we would do that is because you would want your like weeks slash months of journey to be more enjoyable, whereas actually, well, you can do it in like a day and a half. So we don't need to build some sort of gigantic luxury travel to to go through the sky because. Oh, listen to this one, Mark. We will domesticate whales and use them as transportation. <laughs> If only we'd spent half of the 20th century training whales instead of killing them. Um, <laughs> God's sake. There's a picture of a whale, like a big blue whale or a humpback whale, and it's got strapped to it like a, you know, like an under, a submarine type thing. And there's people wearing diving suits controlling the whale with like what looks like, you know, brains. And then there's the, the people underneath that enjoying a nice sightseeing trip while the whale takes them about, the whale shows them about. 
mean, what's worse for the whale, being shot by a harpoon or being trained to take people around the ocean outdoors? Whale was happy enough. That seems like a joking <laughs> idea. We will also domesticate giant mutant seahorses. Now that's just taking the piss. Where are they getting that from? <laughs> Someone said there may be a chance this weird aquatic stuff was just their way of warning us about the impending threat of sea level rise from climate change. Either that or they were warning us about the general existence of Aquaman. (laughs) (laughs) So there's pictures of people... Aquaman, like... Yeah, they've literally labelled this picture divers on horseback and they're like giant sea seahorses and they're wearing diving helmets and that's what they thought that life would be like in the year 2000. I mean, it's weird that there's Sounds great. horses as well because why wouldn't you assume that like, you'd have giant mutant shrimp or giant mutant oyster, they, giant mutant seem, creatures of the sea? I don't know. They seem to think that we're going to become sort of like build a new Atlantis and live under the ocean and um, fish for seagulls. They predicted water world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's saying that instead of you know fishing for fish, we'll live underwater and fish for seagulls. But seagulls don't look bloody live in the ocean, like over the ocean anyway. They they, they live in our bloody towns and cities and won't fuck off. Um, flying cars will be a thing. That's the classic, isn't it? People always yeah. think maybe flying cars. If people still think that these days and try and invent them, and they also predict that. Aerial wing flapping hover cars will be our key mode of transportation. So it's like a carriage without a horse, but it's got like a helicopter rotor on the front with little flapping wing, wooden wings at the sides. <laughs> like a... <laughs> Automated bathrooms will make our lives much easier. So it's like a woman on a chair that sort of gets pushed through, like a convey, like um, a factory line on a conveyor belt, and she eventually gets moved onto the bath and then a brush will come out like a car wash for humans basically <laughs> <laughs> and then there's robot lipstick applicators and a mirror that falls her about i don't like that no that's not relaxing at all and no. then there's like little um, mechanical things with um brushes on them yeah like a human car wash basically i hate I car washes like proposing we could in theory have now we just don't because they're not things anyone would ever want. Yeah, and they've also done a similar thing, like a steampunk sort of a steam robot barber. So they're saying barbers and salon specialists will be replaced by robots. And then there's a picture of a sort of Edwardian gentleman sitting on his chair. While again, there's like these um, robotic arms with like just scissors and a brush on the end of them doing all the work. I mean, that's where the barbers but... control them. I think we can safely say that one of the few jobs that could never be replaced by a robot is barbers and hairdressers because... Well, they'd slit our throats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd like this one, Mark, right? So they predicted that the edu- education system will become way more high-tech. So it says, while this one is utterly incorrect on a literal level, the image itself works pretty well as a metaphor for our modern education system. Whether that's a good or bad thing is entirely up to you. Um, so I need to post these pictures on our Facebook page and Instagram so you can see what I'm looking at here. So it's a picture of um, some school kids, all boys, funnily enough, no girls in there. And the oh, there's a, like the old kind of professor that you'd imagine a Victorian professor with like mutton chops and glasses is feeding books in what looks like a mincing machine while another boy is cranking a, a handle and these books are being fed directly on, into the boy's head by the means of a headset attached to wires attached to the mincing machine. <laughs> what do you think of that? The author of the article has said, which is basically a good metaphor for how education works nowadays, I don't think it is. So instead of this guy actually literally teaching them from books and talking to them, he's just throwing the books in a a mincing machine that somehow translates all the words into the books through these wires directly into these kids' heads. (laughs) It's like if you were just to play a video or like have them all put headsets on and just say, like, read stuff off the internet. That's basically what they're predicting there. Yeah, which is basically what teachers tell kids not to do. So <laughs> but they've done the opposite of that. I mean, the idea looks quite good. 
as in just like it's like download information directly into your brain as an area of education how do you feel about you'd be out of a job your job would just be to shove the books in the machine and press a button but then or your own or your own i could never actually work with her i mean because you wouldn't be able to you wouldn't understand what in your brain you just know it and that's like being able to regurgitate facts isn't the same as understanding why there's yeah so it would lead to like a really weird society where anyone could answer any question you posed them but nobody had any vague idea what they were talking about also they predicted that radium would be the means of heating everything and and source of light yeah maybe that's why they ended up with giant seahorses in the sea because they're all <laughs> they're all using ray. But in a way, we do use nuclear power. So sure. I guess I'm thinking that radium would be a way of heating their homes and lighting our homes. In a way, it has come true, but not yeah, directly. Nuclear energy, so technically that is right. So one of them that they actually did predict was um, communicating via video chatting. There's a picture here of a guy. Well, that's just one I mentioned earlier. It's like the gramophone style phone. With a projector on it, where he's he's looking at his lady and talking to her on a screen, pretty spot on, just a bit smaller. And then we'll see the rise of a mobile society that's not locked in a single location. So that's where the the like moving buildings around on trains comes in. Which again, going back to what I said, well, technically the way they've like said that it would work isn't how we do it, but that is true. We're not. I mean, we are at the moment because of lockdown, but we're not normally as a the modern world does not have people necessarily tied down to one location for your entire life mm, but they're saying that it's more for the rich than well i suppose it would be like, it is more for the rich. yeah like, <laughs> if you're very poor you don't go on holiday you don't travel the world you don't move out of your own town you don't even necessarily move out of your own scheme so again that is that's true i think they've got that right and they've predicted that it would be full of automated industry, as in like driverless trains and things like that, which, again, we're working on. Yeah, we're not far off that, unfortunately, being the case. So. And there's like a farmer that's using automated tractors and ploughs. He's just sitting there pressing buttons, pulling a, a lever while he just we, watches we these have. things do we? Yeah, um, quite a lot of the farms around here use um, automated machinery now. It's all controlled from a central hub. They don't even need to get in their tractors. Oh, yeah, and there's also a woman who's um, battery farming hens in the 1900s who imagined in the year 2000 that you're battery farming hens through a machine getting constant supply of eggs. So, yeah, that's that's quite Which, spot on as again, well. Yeah, is unfortunately true. <laughs> Um, and then there's an architect who is not using any builders to build anything. He's just using a whole bunch of machines. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that pretty plays into like people nowadays who fear that robots will take over our jobs, that a lot of things will become automated. And when you think of Star Trek, they live in a sort of society where money doesn't exist. People just do things. I just don't see that how that could work. You know, like if, if you decide that you don't want to do anything, then you don't need to do anything because they've invented replicator machines where you can just yeah. say, replicator, give me um, some milk and some cookies and it'll just make it for you. You don't have to work for it. You don't need to go to the shops. You can just ask it to give you whatever you want. But then if you're poor, could you have a replicator machine? No, but there's so... no poor people. Everyone will have one. But is that what happens in Star Trek? I don't know. I mean, because it's a utopian. No, because in Star Trek, it's a utopian society. There are no, there's no class. I think the class system is basically in Starfleet, where you're a certain uh, level of officer, but you don't get paid. No, nobody gets paid. Nobody in Starfleet gets paid, but then technically, nobody in the entire Earth gets paid money. But there's then, no money. other planets, like there is definitely a lot of different classes. It's just that, I suppose. It's expanding the world out to the universe, if you want. So, yeah, everybody in the Earth doesn't have to worry about money. But technically, you could look at the Earth as being like a really, really, really wealthy town. And then if you go to other towns, there's people living in abject poverty. So it still kind of has the same issue of... They don't have cars as well in Star Trek because they have, you know, the teleportation devices. So they just travel from one city to another via teleport 
So when you see things like the Golden Gate Bridge, which normally would be full of traffic, it's actually just got loads of, um, uh, what do you call them, solar panels on it because they don't need cars. Which would be good. That's why I, I don't think that that kind of, it's sad, but I don't think that a utop- humans are capable of living in a utopian society because there's always going to be people who want to feel superior above others and lord it over other people to make themselves feel better. Yeah. So I think that poor people have to exist in a society that... Yeah, it know, goes back to the problem we talked about before that like... I don't think yeah. humans are capable of living together in harmony in equal society. I just don't think we're capable of that. Sad as that is. No, that's I mean, why it's complete fantasy. Vote oppressors into power. So the idea that we can be a global society that supports oppression, but somehow become a utopia, well, doesn't make any sense. I'd love for that to be the case that we don't need let money and greed rule our lives. That we can just do whatever makes us happy. So, for instance, for me, um, I like making things out of clay. I'm I'm a trained ceramicist, but because I live in a society where I need money to have a studio and have this, the resources to do that and build a business, I'm now working in a call centre and I can't do that. Whereas in a Star Trek universe, I could just get all those stuff because I don't need money to do it and then just and then, and become a master at it because I would have time. Yeah, I mean, similarly, you know, I like my job, but the reason so if- they went to study zoology is because I wanted to be a zoologist little did I realise when I was a teenager and went to study it that actually in order to be a zoologist you have to be from a very wealthy family because zoology is a self-funded job if you want to go to remote parts of the world and research undiscovered animal species you have to have hundreds of thousands of pounds behind you to do that and yeah if you're not super rich it's not happening. Right so if you weren't uh, suppressed by a society in which we need money um, and wealth are you saying that you would go off and be a biologist then, a zoologist? That's what you would ideally like to do with your time? Yeah, I would 100% be a research zoologist. That's exactly what I would do with my time. So it makes me think that if we did live in a utopia, how many people do we have who's, who, who have these talents that don't have the time to perfect them or master them because they have to survive, they have to work to survive under the, the sort of class system that we have here? Would flourish you know under a utopian society how many more talents would be revealed i mean yeah as as the name utopian society implies it would be ideal but also i think sadly you're right it will never have a utopian society because because weirdly it's not what the majority of people want just makes me sad then i don't really want to end the podcast on a sad note though but i think we should end it because we're like two hours in (laughs) (laughs) and people are probably going to switch off and want to launch themselves into space what do you want to talk about next week i think that so when we did our sort of little pilot thing and i brought up a uh, faceless women and you asked me if they were like black-eyed kids i think you said and mm-hmm. i said no so i think that next week i should do faceless women and you should do black-eyed kids okay that's fine by me so we'll talk about strange how do we tweet? what would you even name that podcast <laughs> What would be the title? (laughs) (laughs) Funny face creatures. Old strange heads. I'm sure we'll come up with something. Um, so I have, we have made, created a Facebook page for the podcast, um, the Crystal Myth podcast on Facebook. So check it out if you'd like. There's a bit more, you can interact more on there and you can comment, let us know if you, what you think of our episodes or what you want us to talk about in the future or just discuss in general what we've been talking about. And yeah, it's just a place to gather and like-minded people to talk about stuff. <laughs> and things and things stuff and things so um right okay well i'm gonna just say good night good good night (laughs) (laughs) and i'm gonna say good morning (laughs) (laughs) to be honest i don't even know what day or time it is these days because everything just seems the same i don't generally leave the flat much apart from going out at night to feed the foxes and look at bats yeah the lockdownness has become insane now to the point where I mean, not insane. Again, to go back to the earlier comment, if you're breaking lockdown, you are a murderous twat. But yeah, to to cope with psychologically, it is becoming order and order. I don't know what day it is, what time it is, where I am. 
<laughs> May as well just be in space. I think I'd prefer to be up there now than down here. So I'm a bit jealous of the, the astronauts on the International Space Station. I would love to join them. So maybe one day it will happen if we live in a utopian society like Star Trek. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Okay then, bye. Bye everyone. Bye guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get scanted by aliens. <laughs> Chris, so, man.